May the Lord, our shepherd, subdue us by his all-enduring word today. 1 Timothy 3, we'll start to read at verse 14 through 4, verse 16. Page 1178 in your pew Bibles. It's about the mystery of godliness, who's Jesus Christ himself, and training for that godliness, growing in it. It's always one source. It's Jesus crucified and risen from the dead. There's no other way to be saved and to be discipled in the way of godliness. 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. Paul writes to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Christ, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now our text, verses 11 through 16 Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is God's word. May he bless us by it. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, church can become so routine that we don't even know why we're here anymore. Just part of life, it's something we do, but why? Mom and dad say so. 
My mom and dad always did. My grandparents always did. And so we just do that. That's what we do. Well, the custom is good. Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. But we have to know why it is so important. And we get a clue to that in the last verse of chapter 4. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, for by so doing you've saved both yourself and your hearers. God uses the gospel ministry to bring you to salvation. That's what it's about. Timothy, be devoted in your ministry. Be devoted to reading, preaching, teaching. There's all these strong verbs. Devote yourself, command these things. Don't neglect the gift given you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Watch yourself closely. Persist. Let all see your progress. Full of strong commands. For the gospel ministry in Ephesus. Why? Salvation hangs on it, brothers and sisters. Let coming to church never be merely routine. It's Christ, crucified and risen from the dead, your Savior, coming to you through gospel ministry and then walking with you all week long as you read the Bible and pray and as you do family worship and as you go to Bible studies. But the hub is the assembly of God's people where God places a special, specially powerful presence of Christ for our salvation. So Timothy's called here to be devoted to the work of discipleship, teaching God's people the sound doctrine and godly living, sound doctrine and godly living. Devoted to discipleship, he must first do that by his own example. He must set an example. Secondly, he must do it by public reading, preaching, and teaching. And thirdly, he must do that by growing himself in the faith. He's got to do it first by his own example. Paul says to Timothy in verse 11, command and teach these things. What things? about the mystery of godliness that we're saved only through Christ, the one mediator. And we grow in our salvation only through that same mediator, Jesus Christ, by focusing on his word, his good doctrine. That's where he comes to us. That's where he visits with us. That's where he talks. That's where he communes with us. That's where we rub shoulders with him. Command and teach these things. The word command, give a charge. Pass on my orders. It's a strong word. In fact, the book opens with the same word in chapter 1, verse 3. If you look back to 1, verse 3, Paul uses the same word. He says to Timothy, remain at Ephesus 
so that you may charge, and it's the same word, command. You may charge persons, certain persons, not to teach any different doctrine. And then if you go to the end of the book, flip ahead to 6 verse 17, the same word is used again, command or charge, give a charge. 6 verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, command, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And then teach, instruct, pass on the truth that saves and changes people's lives. Timothy, ministry is not just a title. You're not just a figurehead there at Ephesus. This is serious, soul and life impacting work where you're directly speaking Christ and reaching into people's lives with Christ. That's why it's so vital. You gotta take your ministry seriously. You gotta be devoted. You gotta do this work with fear and trembling like the Apostle Paul who said, woe to me, may a curse fall on me if I do not preach the gospel. Jesus said, let a millstone be hung around my neck if, if, if I cause little ones children of God to stumble. So you got to command and teach, but it starts with living what you command and teach. That's where the next sentence goes. He doesn't say, so you got to command and teach, now here's how you prepare a sermon. The first thing he says is, how do you do it? Set an example. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. That's the first and most important part of the ministry of the gospel is to live the ministry you preach. Timothy can't teach the Christian faith unless he lives the Christian faith. Christian example is essential to Christian ministry. That's important for all pastors, all elders, all deacons today. One person writes, for better or for worse, to a greater or lesser extent, a congregation is made in the image of its leaders. Scary. And that's what Paul means when he tells the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, don't just be diligent to teach what is good, but set an example. Set an example for the believers to follow because Christian example is essential to Christian ministry. So how can a young man, a young minister like Timothy, do this strong task of commanding and teaching, of discipling believers? He's thought to be around 35 years old at this time. We don't know for sure. Can people respect a young minister? For that matter, a young deacon, a young elder. Will they? Yes, if he lives a godly life. So when Paul says to Timothy, don't let them despise your youth, how is he to prevent, how is Timothy to prevent people from despising his youth? Should he go around saying, hey, 
Stop calling me Timmy. Hey, stop despising my youth. Show me a little respect. No. He's to earn it. He's to command respect by a godly life. That negative command, don't let anybody despise your youth, is matched by the positive command, set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. If you live a godly life, your people will listen to you. In speech, first of all, set an example in speech because that's where we fall first. We do a lot of talking. And it's so easy to say foolish things. It's so easy to be profane and vulgar and silly. But our speech must be salted with grace. And our daily conversation must be exemplary and holy. And then set an example in conduct. Our actions too must be godly. How we treat our wives. How we treat our children. How we treat our employees. And employers. And co-workers. And the cashier at the grocery store. And maybe this is for us here. Some of us at least. How we treat the transportation committee when the buses aren't running. I heard some not so good stuff. That is about how some of us responded. Not a very Christ-like manner. Speech, conduct, love. That's the virtue of all virtues. Showing kindness toward our family and toward all, especially the weak, even to our enemies. Truly devoted to their well-being, not trampling on or ignoring them because we're so preoccupied with ourselves. Set the believers an example in faith. That's so important. You can have faith when, when you preach and when you teach catechism and then, and then not have faith in the rest of your life, not show it at least. You know, not believing in the power of the gospel. And then impurity, that we be chaste and decent in all we say and do. Sexual sin is especially grievous in leaders. And we must relate to everyone, brothers, with utmost dignity and purity and make a covenant with our eyes not to look lustfully at a woman, whether on the screen or on the street. Impurity. Our forms for ordination Really focus on this, set the believers an example. The one for ministers says, quotes it exactly, set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. And the one for elders and deacons, to fill such a sacred office worthily, deacons and elders should set an example of godliness in their personal life, in their home life, and in their relations with their fellow man. Brothers and sisters, it's the responsibility of all to seek and pray for this in our leaders. And if a leader is not living worthy of his calling, you must call him on it. And if he's guilty of scandalous behavior, you must bring it to the attention of the consistory. We'll look at that more, Lord willing, at the end of 1 Timothy 5, where that's spoken about. 
comes down to this. If I am to bring Christ in my ministry, I am to bring Christ in my life. I am to show and delight in his power. He was crucified for me, paid for my sins with his precious blood, and he rose again to give me a new life, and he filled, with, he filled me with his spirit so I could hate my sin and fight it, and I could grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I can long for heaven. I must show that. I must show that in my life. And secondly, I must be devoted to discipleship in my preaching and teaching. Look at verse 13. Until I come, says Paul, devote yourself to what? The public reading of scripture. To exhortation. To teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. The first command in, chap, in, verse, is, in verse 12, is a negative followed by a positive. Don't let anybody despise your youth, but set the believers an example. The second command is a positive followed by a negative, but they mean the same thing. Devote yourself to public reading, exhortation, and teaching scripture. Don't neglect your gift. You see, at Timothy's ordination to the ministry, the council of elders in the church of Ephesus laid their hands on him. Now, that didn't give him the gift of ministry. The Holy Spirit gave him the gift of teaching. And the Holy Spirit developed that gift through Paul's instruction. But that gift was confirmed in Timothy's life. When the church approved of him, ordained him with words of prophecy and instruction and laid their hands on him. That's when that gift was confirmed. Don't neglect that gift of teaching that was placed upon you, conferred upon you by the Holy Spirit through the approval of the church of Jesus Christ. Don't neglect that gift. What should you do with it? Devote yourself positively to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. And when he says don't neglect that gift, that leaves us with the idea, and I think it's the right idea when you look at 2 Timothy, that Timothy was tempted to sit back. Not so much through laziness, but through fear of false teachers, and persecution. Paul says, until I come, Timothy's thinking, I think I'm going to sit back and wait till Paul comes and let him do the hard work of setting things straight here. I'm not getting into this. No, 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 until I come. Every day counts, every Lord's day counts. Make the most of it, devote yourself. Give you one example if you go to 2 Timothy 1. A few chapters ahead, 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. Get an idea that Timothy is suffering from some fear and he's holding back on his preaching and teaching because of it. 
2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So the gift of teaching. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So don't neglect that gift because of fear of the outcome. But devote yourself to it. And devoted means focus on it. Give yourself to it. Give constant attention to this. Don't hold back or slow down, but stay with it. Paul exhorts Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Be ready in season and out of season. The switch is always on, Paul. So he must be devoted to three things. Public reading of scripture. Maybe we don't take that seriously enough. When you go through all the history of synagogue worship, New Testament worship, it follows the pattern of Jesus reading from the scroll of Isaiah and then proclaiming that word. Reading, proclaiming, teaching. That's what Timothy must continue to do, same old, same old, as the church has always done through both the old covenant and the new covenant, and to keep going with it. Scripture must be read, it must be preached, and it must be taught. That's what exhorted means, to preach. And it must be done continually, and you must be devoted to this. Because the Scriptures... Again, are where Christ comes to you to give you life and grow your life. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for instruction, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word is powerful. It's life-changing, life-shaping. Or Romans 10, 17, how shall they believe unless they hear? And faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God, the ministry of the gospel. Those three things, each is a little bit distinct from the other. First, read it. That's the infallible word. It's the foundation of life and godliness, the foundation for building the church. Read it. And then exhort from it. That means to preach it. Preach it in its fulfillment in Christ Jesus, who's the meaning of every verse in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. He was crucified for our sins and raised again to give us a new life and ascended to heaven now to reign over us. And that means verse by verse exposition. Read a passage, preach it. But the third word 
is a little bit different again. And teach it. That means teach the summary of doctrine, the main teachings of the whole Bible in a way that agrees with the whole Bible. It's what we call catechism preaching. But Timothy must read, he must preach, and he must teach. And the church must continue to do that in our day. Read the Bible. Have it read in public. Preach the meaning of it verse by verse. But then also teach the summary of the whole Bible. The system of doctrine we sometimes call it. The summary of faith as we do in, for example, the Heidelberg Catechism. Or the things of first importance, 1 Corinthians 15, which is like a brief early catechism that the Holy Spirit gives to Paul at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15. Be devoted. Timothy's got to be devoted. Pastors have to be devoted to that in preaching and teaching. But so do congregations. We have the same word devoted in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, when thousands were converted, baptized, added to the church, and then it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. The first thing, the apostles' teaching. They listened to the scriptures being read, preached, and taught, and that was their diet, that was their lifeline, that was their living bread, that was their living water. An early church father, Justin Martyr, describes a worship service in a letter to, to the emperor, his first apology, it's called. About the year AD 150, probably about 90 years after Paul wrote, 1 Timothy, A.D. 150. Here's what Justin Martyr wrote. On the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader is finished, the president verbally instructs, teaches, and exhorts, the imitation of these good things. It's always been that way. And it should stay that way. Not merely as a matter of routine, but because it pleases our Savior to save us and keep us saved. Keep us in communion with him through the ministry of the gospel. Don't neglect it. Don't stay away from it. Don't ignore it. Don't become indifferent to it. Don't think it's unimportant. Don't let it become just a matter of routine for you. Devote yourself like the early church to the apostles' doctrine, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And Timothy must be devoted to discipleship by personal growth. 
He must be committed to growing in the doctrine and life that he teaches and preaches. Look at verses 15 and 16. Practice these things, public reading, preach, or exhortation, and doctrine. Immerse yourself in them. Swim in this stuff. So that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Wow. It's essential that a disciple maker remains himself a disciple. Timothy, you must be yourself devoted to sound doctrine and faithful godly living. Timothy, the seed of falling away belongs, lives in you. And every saint, and even in the holiest, let no one think that I cannot fall away. Let no one think that you cannot fall away. It's Christ who gave us life and keeps that life going by abiding in him. You gotta be in him, says John 15, the branches and the vine. And you gotta abide in him. You gotta keep believing. You gotta keep drinking the water of life. Keep eating the bread of life. Keep reading the scripture, studying them. Or you'll die. You'll become a fruitless branch on the vine. Now, God won't let that happen to his elect. The branch will make sure that the, the vine, or, or the vine will make sure the branch abides, but he'll do that through his warning to you and his instruction to me. Persist in these things. Watch your doctrine and life closely, Timothy, because in so doing, you'll save yourself and your hearers. These are Strong words. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. I find in these words such a challenge and an encouragement. Pastor, you need to make progress and everybody should see it. It's easy to become a slouch. Easy to get dull. You need to make progress and everybody should see it. And he's to do that as an example. So that's true for all Christians. Are you making progress? Are you slacking, slowing, drifting? Got to go back to the source. There's a challenge. Are you making, can everybody see your progress? But there's also an encouragement in it. Nobody's arrived, not Timothy either. And God gives us space and room to grow. And we ought to give one another that space and room to grow and encouragement. Is there an encouragement in it as well? But you need to immerse yourself in them, Timothy. You need to be in this all the time devoted to discipleship. You see in that word in verse 15, immerse yourself in them. Actually, the verb in the Greek is just be, be in them. Be in it. Longtime Presbyterian pastor Phil Riken wrote, 
The command to give yourself wholly to the ministry is both a comfort and a challenge. Pastoral ministry is my life. When I am deep in thought or distracted, my wife will sometimes ask, what are you thinking about? Unless I'm reviewing the batting order of the St. Louis Cardinals, I usually have to admit that I am worried about a pastoral problem or thinking about a Bible passage. Not that ministers should live warped or unbalanced lives. If a pastor is married, his family life is important, 1 Timothy 3, and physical exercise has its place, 1 Timothy 4. Nevertheless, ministry is a total life commitment. And that's true of pastors, elders, and deacons because church leadership is, after all, about the salvation of souls. When he says there at the end, for in so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers, he's not saying that Timothy is a Jesus who can save people. He's just saying Christ is pleased through gospel ministry, through Christian leadership, to bring people to salvation and keep them in it. And if I should fall away, I will do damage and destruction to so many souls. And since nobody can coast, we must push the envelope of progress because the only alternative is coasting toward regress. May God grant us grace through the ministry of Christ to be saved and to stay in the way of salvation to the end until we reach the finish line and enter glory. Where the push for progress is over in the sense that when we see him, we shall become like him for we shall see him as he is and we'll arrive at perfection, complete Christ-likeness. We push for progress now because we want to become like that. We love him so much. He is so delightful and beautiful. But we know one day we shall arrive by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great reason to press on? Amen. Our Father in heaven, you've told us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We do want the word to dwell in us richly because we want Christ to dwell in us richly. We want to grow in him. We want to become more like him. We want to make progress in such an amount that others can even see it in our lives. We pray that you will bless every leader in this church with that visible progress. And that you will bless every member of the congregation with visible progress. And we ask that you will keep us in the way of salvation through the ministry of the gospel. Lord Jesus, reach into our lives with your saving grace. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.